Coming up, the broke millennial has some great money tips and tricks to help you with saving and paying debt. So stay tuned. For little known secrets about controlling your taxes and preparing for market volatility, increased longevity, rising healthcare costs, and social security uncertainty in retirement, visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free retirement readiness guide. It won't cost you a dime to learn strategies to make your money last a lifetime. Download the retirement readiness guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. You have two options in life. Either you control money or money controls you. And my goal is to make sure that you control your money. And even when you don't have a lot of it, you can still be in control. That's Erin Lowry of BrokeMillennial.com fame. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, she shares 16 really clever tips and Jedi mind tricks for paying down debt and accumulating wealth. And to think, people give millennials such a bad time. Plus, Joe and Al talk about working the tax brackets with Roth conversions, some crazy options that may or may not work when you've contributed too much to your 401k to get the employer match, and how DIY investing can be like Joe's bad golf swing. Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Hey, um, I want you to start this email chain out with that email that we received from a good listener of ours. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, oh, you want to do some content? Yeah, I want to do some content. Yeah, this is from uh, Bill. Uh, Bill writes, uh, Al, I got a couple of questions on Roth conversions to the top of the 25% bracket. Probably so that was last year. Yeah, right. Now we're 22, 24, and 12. Most of my ETF fund dividends are qualified. So he's talking about assets outside of retirement. I use the qualified dividend and capital gain worksheet to calculate the federal tax due. The tax varies with the amount of Roth conversion. Okay. My well, goal- as a Roth conversion, you're just adding ordinary income tax on your tax return that year by moving money from a qualified retirement plan to That's a right. Roth IRA. That's right. So he's trying to maximize his tax brackets each yes. year to yes. get more money into a tax-free environment than a tax-deferred environment. Exactly. Thank you for that sidebar. Sure. Okay. Uh, my goal was to convert to the top of the 25% tax bracket in 2017. Um, for a single taxpayer, 1040, line 43, the goal is 91,900. That's taxable income. That'd be the top of the 25% bracket. The qualified dividend capital gains, however, are taxed at capital gain rates, typically 15% or less. The remaining ordinary income is taxed at the target bracket of 25%. Should my line 43 goal be 91,900 plus the qualified dividend of capital gains that, that I have, or should line seven of the capital gains worksheet be equal to the top of the ninety-one thousand nine hundred? Blah blah blah. What, so what, let what, me let's let's paraphrase. Yeah, that. yeah, let's paraphrase. So what he's trying to do again is move money into a Roth IRA, and he doesn't want to breach that bracket of twenty-five percent. He doesn't want to pay any more than twenty-five percent because right. he believes that that's the right rate for him. That's right. Because he might be in the same bracket, higher bracket in retirement, or maybe he wants more tax diversification where he could potentially put himself in even a lower bracket. Right. So <clears throat> he found the number. He's like, all right, he looked at the tax table, and he goes, what's the top of the 25% tax bracket for a single taxpayer? Right. And, and it's 95000 91900 91900 Yeah. And so that's his target number. But now he get, gets dividends and interest and things like that that are kicking out from his mutual funds. Yeah. So he could control the amount of ordinary income because he might have wages that is a fixed number. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm going to convert X amount of dollars. And I know exactly what dollar to convert to get me right at that 91900 Right. 
But I don't know what the dividends are going to be, depending on what investments that he's in. Right. So his question, I guess, is like, all right, well, if I break to that 91900 but all of a sudden my dividends go up, and now I'm at 95000 or should I convert less so when I add in my dividends and everything else, it equals that top line? Yes, that's that's correct. And the uh, answer is? The answer is, I got two answers. Uh, the, the, I'll start with the easier one. Uh, which, well, first of all, Bill, this is one of the more astute questions I've had Ever. in a while. <laughs> it's certainly in March of 2018. <laughs> anyway, um, so very good. This was a great question. So the answer is the 91,900, 91, you can actually add your qualified dividends and long-term capital gains to that figure. And the reason is because those will be taxed at 15% no matter what. It doesn't matter. So let's just say you got $10,000 of qualified dividends and capital gains. So now your, your taxable income can be 101,900 because the ordinary income will be taxed at 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 10%, at 15%, right. and at 25% and the capital gains will be taxed at 15%. Now, and and, and no matter what. So you're not going to pay that 28% ordinary income tax because your ordinary income tax is actually if you get rid of the capital gains is in that 25% right. bracket. The capital gains or those dividends, or if he sold stock at a capital gain, sits on top of the ordinary income. That's right. It would be taxed at that capital gains rate. That's right. The only time he would run into problems is that now if he breached like 200000 Yes. Right? Because then you got the net investment income tax of 3.8 if it was on um, a capital gain. That, that's right. Uh, that's exactly right. There's two other potential issues. Uh, when you breach 100000 of adjusted gross income, if you have rental property, you can't deduct as much. And then finally, if you're starting in the 15% bracket, you may only want to convert to the top of the 15 because those capital gains would be taxed at zero. And when you add a Roth conversion, all of a sudden they're taxed at 15%. Right. And then you could throw Social Security in the mix and then you could blow yourself up there yep. too. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of variables. My question is more of a strategy question, I guess. When I wanted to retire and preserve my capital, I wanted to invest in options. I'd like to get some information, if I can, regarding donor-advised funds. Now I have a whole bunch of money in my IRA that when I turn 70 and a half, it's going to kill me. How do I know how much money to move? into a rock. Your money, your wealth listeners, it's your turn. If you've got a burning money question, call 888-994-6257 for your chance to have Joe and Big Al answer it live during Your Money, Your Wealth. Whether it's about retirement, investing, social security, taxes, or preparing your portfolio for the inevitable market volatility, there's a pretty good chance these fellows can give you the insight that will help you make better money moves. That number again is 888-994-6257. If you'd rather email your question like Bill did, just send it to info at purefinancial.com. That's info at purefinancial.com. Alan, you know what time it is? Yeah, it's time for a guest. Who do we got today? We got Erin Lowry. She's the author of Broke Millennial. We don't want any broke millennials. No, well, that's why we want... She's going to explain how we're not going to be broke. She wrote a great book. It's Stop Scrapping By and Get Your Financial Life Together. And she's the founder of uh, BrokeMillennial.com. Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us, why did you start Broke Millennial? You know, you would think five years later I'd have this epic elevator pitch, 30 seconds or less, about why. And it's kind of a long story, so I'll tell it as fast as I can. That's all right. We got, we, got version, we got 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, we got time. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Right. We, 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 <laughs> yeah, lay it out there. Um, 
So I moved to New York City right after I graduated college. It was my big dream when, even before I went to college. I wanted to move here. And like many people, I worked in entertainment in the beginning. And so I met a lot of people who were interested in pursuing acting. And a year after I had lived here, I gone out to drinks with one of my friends and we were having a sober up cup of coffee. And I said to her, you know, I'm, I'm a little confused about why you're working the job you are, because she was complaining about being an executive assistant. And I said, you moved here to be an actress at the time we were 23. She didn't have student loans. She didn't have credit card debt. She had no kids. She wasn't married. This was really the time. And I said, you know, now's the time to be waitressing, nannying, do what you got to do to pursue your dream. Why aren't you doing that? And she goes, you know, money just really stresses me out. I only hope I have enough at the end of the month. And that's how I handle money. And this to me was a light bulb moment, which sounds incredibly naive. But I grew up in a household where we talked about money all the time. And it wasn't until she said that to me that I realized most people don't have that relationship to money. And my first year living in New York, I only earned $23,000. So not a whole lot to live on in New York City. But I still felt in control because I knew how to manage my money. And I realized then that I wanted to do something about this. So I started Broke Millennial as a blog because it was 2013 and that's what you did. But also just because I figured storytelling would be a really easy way for me to get other millennials to kind of get tricked into learning about finance. So I would usually draw upon my own life experiences and tell a story. And then at the end, you would know how to set up your 401k or how to do a budget or whatever it was that I was writing about that day. So how do you, your, your book, what are some tips on so stop scraping by and get your financial life together? So how do we do that? Well, the way the book is set up is each chapter stands on its own. So the reader can really flip around based on where he or she is in their own personal financial journey. And the beginning of it starts with the basics. So we're talking about things like budgeting, understanding your credit score, even understanding your own emotional relationship to money and how that can trigger you and and what that means for you in your financial life. And then eventually it gets into slightly more of the, the harder hitting topics, the investing, the buying the home, the saving more aggressively for retirement. And for me, the big part in the beginning is one, really unpacking your emotional relationship to money is key because you need to know why you're spending the way you do, especially if it feels like money just comes in and flows out and you have no idea where it's going. And of course, the dreaded B word, setting that budget, I like to call it cash flow just because it's more palatable to people. Right. But knowing how much is coming in and how much is going out, it's really that simple in the beginning. But a lot of people don't even take that first step. So when you grew up, um, were your parents teaching you about money and you know having you, you know, um, save allowances? Or uh, t tell us about how... Um, you, you know, because that, that, that sounds unusual, too, where most families, I guess, are like tight-nipped. They don't I, like I, to we, talk about well, Yeah, money. we didn't talk yeah. about money growing up. Um, so th tell us, how did you get emotionally connected, I guess, with money? We talked about money so much that there, was, there still is a game in our house that's the inheritance game, where if one of us does something to tick off our parents, they will say, you just lost 10%, or your sister's getting all of it, or whatever it is. So that is how open we are with talking about money and other taboo topics that people are usually uncomfortable with. And what my parents really did was they made money tangible to us at a very young age. If I was in a store and saw a toy that I wanted and asked for it, my parents would say, sure, if you will pay 50%, you can have that toy. So one, I had to be figuring out as a little kid how to make money. So I would babysit the neighbor's cats. I would sell donuts during yard sales. I would you know, do what I needed to do to try to earn money as a little girl. 
And then I was having to learn how to curb impulse purchases and decide, oh, is this stuffed animal really worth $7 of my hard-earned money because I had to work to get that money? So now I understand how much you know, sweat equity I had to put in and is that stuffed animal worth two hours trying to hawk donuts to people coming to my mom's yard sale. And learning those lessons at seven, eight, nine years old really kind of sets the groundwork for the rest of my financial life. And then as I got older, that rule still applied. When it was time to go to college, my parents said, hey, we're only going to pay for 50%. You have to come up with the other 50% of college. So it was about applying for scholarships and figuring out how I could come out of college debt-free. So you were um, a small business owner at seven and eight. Did you have any employees? Yep. <laughs> uh, my sister, I recruited her very early on because I'm the older one, clearly. Um, and actually, when we moved, we lived overseas for a good chunk of our childhood, and I created a little babysitter's club, and I recruited kids in my grade, and you know, I was kind of the point person and would assign people out on jobs, and yeah, I, I liked to run little businesses like that from a young age. Babysitting cats. I don't know. I've never heard of a cat baby. Like dogs, they need, cats just do. Well, you have to have someone to feed them at least. You got to feed them. Clean the kitty litter out. That's it takes it's a lot harder. That's work. awesome, though. It's, it's, it's I'm worth, going. That's my that's my side hustle. It's worth now. it's worth fifty cents <laughs> no, a day. She probably charged fifty bucks. <laughs> uh, well, that, I wish I had been that greedy at a young age, but I, I just kind of took what I could get at that point. But the neighbors were pretty generous with the cat sitting money. You know, I mean, me growing. Uh, Years was my financial yeah. uh, financial experience. Were you an entrepreneur as well? Oh yeah, I had my own. Uh, yeah, I shoveled snow as a kid. Right. Yeah, mowed a couple lawns. Sure. But it, my parents would say, you know, Joe, we're so poor. We it, it's po. We can't even po, afford. They, can get the you R can't R even afford the or uh, the, the the R. So yeah. Um, so that's why I committed myself to make a little bit more money than that. Uh, so. Does she? Does your mom still say that? Yes, Joe. I'm yes. poor. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's why she needs a, needs a couple of money. bucks. So, so the blog then turned into the book. So, is uh, I'm guessing that was the um, transition here. It was. It was a, a long transition. The book is all unique material, so it's not just a reprint of the blog. Um, the kind of genesis of the book is that I started doing speaking gigs a couple years into writing the blog and I ended up on CBS Sunday morning and a literary agent saw me on CBS Sunday morning and asked if I'd ever been interested in writing a book and I said I sure have and it just kind of came out of that um, interaction so still my current literary agent and we came up with a proposal and shopped it to publishers and then I signed with uh, Tartra Perigee which is a Penguin Random House publisher and that's how broke millennial the book came to be and i'm actually now working on an investing book and then um i have a third book we're still debating topics for book number three but i will have three out by the end of 2020 so are you the type that saves 85 percent of their income i'm <laughs> not quite at that level in uh, the personal finance blogging community, those are usually called fire bloggers right which is financial independence retire early i do live in new york city so Trying to save 85% in New York is really rough unless you're making big, big bucks, and I'm not at that level quite yet. But I do save a hefty chunk. Um, haven't indulged in much lifestyle inflation over the years, and 
I mean, another thing I did learn from my parents was spending on what I valued. And my partner and I both really do value travel. And that's primarily where we spend our money. We don't do a whole lot of eating out or we live in an area of New York that's a bit more affordable. And we've I've lived in the same apartment all seven years I've lived in New York, didn't upgrade. And so that's a way that I can funnel my money into things that I really do care about. So so let me let me ask you, because I, I think a lot of millennials, and actually this is probably good advice for any age, but a lot of folks think that it seems that they're spending everything that they're making. And so you talked about kind of getting your life under control, doing, you don't like to call it budget, you, you call it cash flow. But I think a lot of folks, uh, particularly millennials these days with college loans, they're in a lot of debt. And it just seems, it, it seems insurmountable. And I know you actually just did a video on, on some strategies on paying off debt. And what, what might you recommend for our listeners? Well, student loans is, really the bane of the existence for the average millennial. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I managed to graduate debt-free, but my fiance did not. So certainly familiar with student loan debt, and it's an inevitability, I think, in a lot of millennials' lives. If you didn't graduate with it, you might marry somebody who did. And the first step is to face the numbers. And honestly, that is the hardest part for a lot of people. There are plenty of folks that I know who understand what their minimum payments are, but really haven't looked to see what the full balance is of the loan. And the first thing you do need to do is write down exactly how many loans there are. Because for a lot of people, it's not just one or two, it's more like 10 to 15. And you need to know exactly where they are, what the minimums are due, and then what the total balance is. And from that, and of course, the interest rates. And then from there, you can start to create a strategy. And there are multiple ways that you can attack student loan debt. But Debt Snowball and Debt Avalanche works on all forms of debt, Speaking of student loan debt, coming up soon on Your Money, Your Wealth, Robert Farrington of thecollegeinvestor.com will tell us about the financial media blitz to eradicate student loan debt. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a minute. While you're there, catch up on our recent discussions of a smartphone app that can help you pay debt, seven secrets to retirement happiness, and how to avoid hitting your GMO point. That's when you want to scream, get me out in the face of market volatility. If you don't have time to listen, transcripts are available for nearly every podcast. So check it all out at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. But the other thing to look into with student loans is things like refinancing. If you're not eligible for an income-driven repayment plan, you've got a really steady job, you're making good money, maybe it makes sense to refinance, but just understand that you're going to lose any federal protections because you're turning that into a private loan. But if you already have private student loan debt and you can lower the interest rate from 6% to 3.5%, that's a pretty good deal. Saves you a lot of money. And there's also other little tips and tricks that people don't necessarily think of, even as simple as paying more than the minimum due and being sure that you tell your servicer that that extra money needs to be applied to your principal balance and not to future interest. And I know a woman who paid just $10 more and shaved a year off of her repayment plan with just $10 a month. So it's about making sure that you're starting to educate yourself on all these little tips and tricks and how to apply those. But the very first thing you got to do is, is face the numbers and know exactly how much debt you have. And, and for our listeners, so debt snowball is is looking at your debts and probably paying off the smallest ones first. So you get some some wins under your belt. Debt avalanche is paying the highest interest rate. Wh which do you think is better, or what do you recommend? I also recommend the one that's actually going to work for yeah, you. Right. Because, and the reason I say that is, some people are truly numbers motivated. For me, avalanche would work because the idea of mathematically paying off the debt as fast as I can with the least amount of interest rate would keep me motivated. 
but I'm not normal so much in that way. And if getting a small wind and that psychological boost is what's going to keep you motivated to keep trucking, then do that snowball. But pick the one that's really going to work for you and be honest with yourself with who you are. And at the end of the day, as long as the debt's paid off, that's the goal here. So whichever one works better. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's still right just to face the numbers, though, because yeah. I think a lot of times people will just not face it, and then it continues to... Yeah, they, they don't want to face it, right? right? They, they, they're they spending every penny, and they, they really don't want to sit down and do that budget or that cash flow analysis because it seems painful, and, and but yet that's that's a, a necessary starting point. And once it's done, you can actually make a plan, and that's the big part of this is so often... We feel out of control because we don't know all the information. You have to get that information for yourself in order to take back control. And most of the talks that I do, I open up with a simple concept. You have two options in life. Either you control money or money controls you. And my goal is to make sure that you control your money. And even when you don't have a lot of it, you can still be in control. You just need to have all that information. You know, I want to go back to a point with... Um, the student loans, because there was some really good information you said um, that I think a lot of times people don't really look at, is if you refinance your student loans, but if you have federal loans, you you may want to look at, um, you, you, because you lose federal protection. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So if you have, if you currently have federal student loan debt, you very well may have put yourself on an income-driven repayment plan. In some cases, you could also be eligible for a forgiveness plan. Um, usually that's if you're working in the public sector somehow. Um, maybe you're a school teacher. Maybe you work for the government. It could be local. It could be federal. And at the end of you know making 120 payments, so at the end of 10 years, you can discharge your debt. The rest, the remaining debt is forgiven, which is great for people, especially people who want to stay in the public sector. But a lot of folks don't have that option. So there are income-driven repayment plans, which most simply put is the federal government acknowledges that you might have way more debt than you can afford to make your minimum payments on in a month, so they can make your monthly payment relative to your income. Problem there is your interest continues to balloon over time. You have to make payments for 20 to 25 years before any remaining debt is discharged, so that is a very long timeline for paying down on your debt. And the other perk of federal loans is forbearance and deferment. So if something happens, you lose a job, medical issue comes up, and you just fall on hard times, you can reach out to your student loan servicers and see if they can have you halt making payments generally up to about a year. But you do have to qualify. You can't just, you know, anoint yourself within, you know, forbearance or deferment. You do have to, to call up and talk to your servicer about that. Private loans are not as forgiving on any front. You owe them what you owe them. They want their minimum payments every month until it's paid off. And if you fall on hard times, a lot of them are like, eh, too bad, we still need our money. Not all, but a lot. So if you are looking to refinance, what that does is it moves your old debt to a new loan. You're, you're paying off your old loan with a new loan, which a lot of people think sounds very strange, but you're moving it to a lower interest rate, which is the point. So then your money can go further. You can pay it off faster and you can save money over the life of the loan. But if you're refinancing that federal loan debt, you're turning it into a private loan. So there goes the forgiveness programs, the income-driven repayment plans, the forbearance, the deferment. So just make sure you're in a very stable financial situation. You're not at risk of losing your job. You have a very healthy emergency savings fund. If everything goes sideways for you tomorrow, it's not going to be a big deal. You can find another job quickly. Maybe you're even married and your spouse could be bringing in money, whatever it is. But you have to be very critical and think through, worst case scenario, is it still okay for me to turn this? federal loan into a private loan. Aaron, so 
we talked about, I guess, the debt side of the balance sheet. Let's let's flip to building assets. What what are some things or tips that you can share, you know, to help someone save? Um, because is, you know, Al and I we work a lot with retirees, and of the, as you know, the, you've seen the statistics. Uh, most retirees are ill prepared for retirement. A lot of them don't have, you know, fifty thousand dollars to their name. Uh, because there was a procrastination or just a lack of savings. W- what are some tips that people can do to to at least start saving or saving in an abundance as you do or or like the fire movement? Yeah. I, I mean, not that aggressive where you're saving 95% of your yeah, salary. And, and al- alongside that, Aaron, if you're trying to balance, I, I need an emergency fund. I need to pay off my debt. I want to save for a house. I want to save for retirement. How did How does this all fit together? Well, in that regard, you have to set your goals and prioritize them. So if paying off your debt is your biggest goal and that's where your money is going to go, then you need to have your goals outlined and crystallized first before you can really be deciding where to put your money. You can't do everything all at once. But in terms of how to start saving, the biggest thing I have run up against is that you have to build the habit. And a lot of people feel so defeated from the beginning and they just think, I barely have enough to cover all of my expenses. What is the point of even trying to save? At most, I could maybe save 5 or $10 out of a paycheck. I can't even buy a good craft cocktail in a major city for that amount of money. So what is the point of even putting it in savings? And what I always encourage people to reframe it in their brain is that the point of building the habit. Think about it that if you try, if you go your whole 20s without saving at all, if that's just not part of your process, what makes you think all of a sudden at 35 when your debt's paid off and you're making a, a good living that you're just going to be able to switch over. And, and that's just not going to happen. It's just like anything to do with your health. If you're not instilling good eating behaviors and exercising behaviors when you're young, the odds of you being able to reverse everything when you're 50 is slim to none. So start, even if it's just five bucks, just start putting it away. And obviously, everyone knows the idea of automation, having it come out of your paycheck before it hits your bank account, out of sight, out of mind is a great one. Um, one thing that I love to recommend people do, this is more of a psychology angle on it, is nickname your bank accounts, especially your savings accounts. A lot of banks will let you go in there and change the name of your saving account. So if you very prescriptively have on there what it's for, and the more specific you can get, the better. Let's say that you are saving up for a trip to Japan in July of 2019. Put Japan trip July 2019 instead of just travel savings. So then anytime you're tempted to go in and raid money out, it's sitting and it's hitting you right there in the face what you're saving that money for. So that's one of my absolute favorite things to tell people to do is nickname those savings accounts. We're talking to Erin Lowry. Please go to BrokeMillennial.com. She's got a great book out. Hey, Erin, I really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy and um, heading into the weekend. Got anything fun planned? No weekends, really, for the self-employed. <laughs> wow, look at that. Uh, well, thanks, yeah, thanks again. And then um, your new book, the, the investing book, comes out when? It'll be April of 2019, so we got a little time. All right. So we got to get broke millennial, get studied up on that, and when you get your um, other book out, we'll love to have you back on. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was great.
Southern California, preparing for a successful retirement requires a little more than listening to Your Money, Your Wealth. Our two-day retirement courses and our free monthly lunch and learn events can give you the tools and confidence you need to help you plan for the retirement you've always dreamed of. For dates, times, and locations for our lunch and learn events and our retirement classes in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles, just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. All right. This individual, he's um, he goes, Joe Big Al. I contributed eighteen thousand five hundred to my four hundred one k account, and I mistakenly contributed too much already. This means that I can no longer contribute any more money into the account, and I will lose my company's match of over ten thousand dollars. Can I withdraw some of the contribution I made to the four hundred one k? So first of all, let's explain what he's talking about. Yeah, because uh, an individual most individuals can put eighteen thousand dollars into four hundred one k in two thousand seventeen. It's actually eighteen thousand five hundred in two thousand eighteen, and then there's a six thousand dollar catch up if you're fifty and older. Twenty four thousand in two thousand seventeen, twenty four thousand five hundred in two thousand eighteen, and then as you as you make contributions, a lot of plans have an employer match, meaning that you make a contribution. They make a contribution, and sometimes, Joe, when you when you front load your your four hundred one k too quickly, you miss out on on some of that employer match. Right. So the the goal is is to let's say if you wanted to max out the plan, every single paycheck that comes to you, you want to max it out at your last paycheck. Right. Because if there's no dollars coming in, they're not going to match you anymore. Right. That's right. And so if you had a bonus or something like that, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, you, you got fully funded in. it yeah. in you know, two months, well, you have 10 more months that you're not going to receive that match. Right. So just be careful with that because it gets um, missed often. It, it does. And so you, the way that you want to do this is you take the 18,000 or this year, 2018, 18,500, and then divide it into the number of paychecks that you're getting, and then figure out how much that you want withheld per paycheck. And you know, maybe to be on the safe side, have it fully withheld by the end of November, just so you make sure you get it all in. But the concept is to go the full year. Now, if you've overdone it already, no, I don't know of any way to undo that. That's no. that's an irrevocable thing. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't see how you get the money out. Yeah, that's uh, that's a one way street. With a 401k plan, it's different than an IRA because a 401k plan has to come from your paycheck, from payroll. Right. So you receive your check, and the money is already deposited in the account. Um, an IRA works a little bit differently, where you're you're cutting a check into your IRA. So if I wanted to make $5,500 contribution to an IRA, you know, I have until April 15th of this year even to make contributions for last year. And if I did a larger contribution, I have the ability to take it out of an IRA so I don't have an excess penalty because I over contributed over the 60 or, or 5500 right uh, but you don't have to deal with there's no matches there's nothing like that so when it comes to a 401k plan if you've already put in the max good for you first of all for maxing out right. your plan right but he left 10,000 bucks on the table yeah so the the lesson there is to is to just do it a little bit differently next year I mean that's really what it comes down to I the, the only course of um, advice I would give you would be to talk to HR you know talk to the the plan um, administrator say hey I made a mistake 
maybe there could be um, an opportunity for you to, to, to but I, I think that's slim. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised, but I guess it would never hurt to ask. Right. So um, make sure you don't miss out on the match by contributing. Be, because um, the, the, the reason I say that, Joe, is, is once the payroll is made and then payroll taxes are filed, you have to, the, the corporation would have to file an amended return and i mean to undo They're anything do that. i don't think so no we, i mean i guess i shouldn't say never but and so maybe that's a reasonable thing but i, I wouldn't I, I i would be pretty surprised well maybe you go to your employer right right and you say hey i blew up can you just give me a 10 you're gonna give me give me the money anyway <laughs> can you give me a ten thousand dollar little bonus yeah, but I mean, it, it's it, it's already in the 401k plan. I don't know how you get it out. No, no, no. I'm just saying because he's saying the $10,000 is missed because the employer was going to match him. Right. Right. But he's already funded, so the match is no longer. Oh, I see what you're saying. Just so get, he's going to go to you know Big Al and say, hey, Big Al, you're, you're going to pay CEO. me. Ten, you're going to pay me 10 grand anyway for you the were, match. Yes. Uh, you know, I so made what, a mistake. Just I give me a up. bonus. Do you think you, you just want to bonus me out I, there, I Bubba? Give, I give that a 1%. <laughs> Anyway, it's a good idea. Those are some options. I'm just trying yeah, to options, give options. Options, yeah. Options. Yep, yep. All right. Here's another one. Okay. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. My husband and I have six children. My husband has a great job. However, I would like to generate some income without having to work outside the home. Okay. I've been learning about trading. I want to invest in the stock market. What is the best place to start? That's a that's a good question, and, and I, I would say honestly, we 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 saw these kinds of questions, or at least I did. You were just a kid in the early two thousands, late nineteen nineties, <laughs> before the dot com bust. We had a lot of, and it wasn't women; it was m- women and men. Whoever was staying at home, the other spouse was working. It's like oh. You know what? You just invest in the market. You buy the stock or mutual fund, and it goes up. And this isn't that difficult. And when you have a huge bull run like we've had, I think I think people start thinking that oh, this is pretty easy stuff. And I'm here to tell you, it's not necessarily. I I, I would actually look to almost any other means of making money. There's there's different kinds of businesses that have tasks, duties that you can do from home via your computer, I think that's a much better bet. When you're when you're trading, you're trying to time the market. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm saying the probabilities are not necessarily on your side. So if the question was, my husband has a great job and we make too much money and I'm looking to lose some of it. <laughs> then that's a good way to do it. But you only get $3,000 capital loss. Well, they could lose. Well, not from you're, you're thinking of a tax benefit. Yeah, but yeah, I think the probability of someone because there's if you want to buy a trading program for ten thousand dollars to learn how to be a millionaire, I mean, you can watch the infomercials. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I guess you could go to a class and they'll say, "This is all you got to do. Follow the trends, and then this is when you buy, and this is when you sell, and then oh, you know, the most sophisticated individuals." If you look at the universe of investors, right, PhDs from Harvard, Yale, University of Chicago, whatever, right, the pedigree of finance, maybe 5% of those individuals can add alpha on a consistent basis. 95%, they, I mean, what alpha means is like to, to add value. Yeah, with, to, to, be, to beat the market. To, to, to outperform 
an overall index. Correct. I'm not saying that others, the 95, don't do it, but just not on a consistent basis. Yeah, and even those 5% or whatever the percentage is, doesn't matter, that tend to outperform the market year after year, they'll, they'll tend to have, at least based on history, they'll, they tend, have a bad they'll year. tend to have a year that all the wheels come off the wagon. It's like you might, have been, you might as well just have been, uh, invested in an index fund. So when you're looking at trading, um, I would be very careful with that, um, but... You could go to a class. You spend ten thousand bucks. I've seen it at TD Ameritrade. Yes, and yeah. I was going to say some of the know, brokerage Forex. houses have classes on options, and and all I'm going to say about that is risk and return are, are related. And if you're going for high return, there can be high risk, and just be careful. Okay. Um, let's see. Do we have time for another one? What? I think so. Sure. Okay. This one is I'm retired. And I want to invest my money in my 401k and IRA accounts using the 50% stock and 50% bond asset allocation model. Do you suggest that I try to do-it-yourself approach when beginning to invest um, in stock and bond mutual funds? Or should I hire a financial advisor to select a basket of stock options in bond mutual funds? What say you, Big Al? Uh, I think when you're first starting out, I think... Uh, but he's retired. Oh, is, oh, that's right. He's retired. So I don't understand his uh, question. Yeah, you're right. You did say he was retired. He's like, all right, well, I'm retired. <laughs> well, if if he's never hired an advisor before, he has been doing it himself. Yeah, right. And so, well, I don't get the question. Yeah, that's, it's, it doesn't kind of make sense. But I, I, I guess, to, well, let me answer it a couple ways, maybe. If, if let's, let's just say he wasn't retired. Let's start, let's start that way. So when you're, when you're first investing, I, I think for some of you, a financial advisor is a great way to go. And there are human advisors. There are robo-advisors that you can and get an allocation for. Or maybe you just simply go to Fidelity or Vanguard and find a couple, two or three low-cost index funds, one that invests in U.S. stocks, one that invests in international stocks, one that invests in bonds, and just kind of do a third, a third, a third, or whatever you, know, whatever you feel like makes sense. That's where an advisor can sort of help you with that initial allocation. Whether you need one ongoing, you may or may not. A lot of, a lot of young people find they, they do like advisors because they've got broader goals, like, all right, I want to buy a house, I want to, I want to pay off debt, I, I want to be able to save for retirement, I want to put this all together. Well, I think it holds accountability, too. It, it does. You it know does. what I mean? Because here, I've taken... Um, I started playing a lot of golf again, and I, right. you know, we, we started here ten years ago, and I didn't play an ounce of golf for ten years. Yeah, because you were pl- busy. I was a little busy, but now I'm trying to find work-life balance. You are. I, yes. I applaud that. Yeah, Doctor Finkelstein has <laughs> told me I needed that. <laughs> it's, Good. How's that working out? It's, well, all right. So, it, for those of you that play golf, right? I hired a golf pro to help with my swing. Because I could go out in the range and then just blow up. I mean, you have no idea what you're doing, right? No. So I go up, I address the ball, and I'm just whacking away. Yeah. And I'm not seeing any improvement whatsoever. It's like, well, here, I spent eight hours on the range just <laughs> practicing a really bad golf shot. <laughs> so I'm going to get even so, worse because so, I really got this right. crappy golf swing down. Because you got that muscle memory, and now it's, <laughs> right. now it's in there it's for just, Yeah, it's, it's, oh, my goodness. So yeah. then it's like, I think it makes sense for me to hire someone that knows a little bit more about the game to say, hey, can you help me with my swing? Right. right. 
that makes sense to me. So if you've never managed money before and then you're like, ah, oh, I want to save a couple of bucks. Well, you could continue to blow yourself up over and over again by not knowing, you know, certain fundamentals. I think when you accumulate wealth while you're saving money into your 401k plan, I think you're right on, Al. It's like, all right, well, here, you know, you could pick a target date fund. Hey, I'm going to retire in 25 years. Pick a target date fund 25 years from now. You know, just save as sure. much as you possibly can. Throw more money at it. But once you get into retirement, I feel, and of course I'm biased on this because this is what I do for a living, but th there's so many more applications that you have to look at. Well, Social security, I, I, yes, taxes, agreed. you know, sequence of return risk, you know, what are, you, what, what are the goals? Are you passing? You know, so there's a lot more to it than, hey, let me just get a 50-50, you know, yeah, bond and, stock and, mix. And, and the people that we talk to, and a lot of times they're very sophisticated. They're A lot of them are engineer types that have done a lot of homework. They're They're very knowledgeable. And, and they'll tell us this after the fact. It's like, you know, I'm really glad I met with you because I, I, I actually missed a few things, right? right? But you and, only it, know what you know. You right, don't know what you don't exactly. know. And just, what you know just, might be really bad. Just like your golf swing. It was it was pretty good, but you, you don't know why it was good sometimes and not so good right. other times. Yeah, yeah. When you duck hook it or slice it every time you swing... <laughs> There's a problem. That's not how the ball flight should look. But or like you go to the gym. I go to the gym in the mornings, right? And then you see the people. And I'm like, you're hurting yourself. They're using right. the machines all in the I, wrong areas. And, and then they're like, just, and, and the, just and, ask someone, and get the, a and trainer the tr for. The tr and the trainers that are there, they must just have to roll their eyes oh. day after day, minute after minute, because they know these guys and gals are using the machines wrong totally and wrong. hurting themselves. <laughs> yes. <they're> just, <laughs> you know, I go to spin class, and, you know, you could turn the knob, put a little bit of meat on the, you know, yeah. on the bike because they're, you know, their, their feet are just pedaling as fast as they can. I'm like, she's going to blow a knee out <laughs> right in front of me. This, this knee's going to come right out of her leg and smack me in the face right right uh andre you, you you get what i'm saying right yeah did you start that roth ira yet see our producer here no. who's, who's subbing for us today right. there's no water i'm parched <laughs> like, i don't got a chair You're, yeah and i got and the then end. al's just in the happy place yeah, I'm, I'm good. I don't care. All right. I'm good. So to recap today's show, ordinary income and capital gains are taxed differently. So go ahead and work those tax brackets with your Roth conversions. And DIY investing and trading might be a good fit for you, or you might blow yourself up, as Joe likes to say. Although I could have done without the gory visual from Joe's spin class. Special thanks to our guest, broke millennial Erin Lowry, for her great ideas on saving and paying debt. Why do we rarely hear people talk about refinancing their student loans or using Jedi mind tricks to save? Visit BrokeMillennial.com for more on how to stop scraping by and get your financial life together. Subscribe to this podcast at YourMoneyYourWealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or Apple Podcasts on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, email info at PureFinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Stay tuned for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors for your free financial assessment visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.